Do you ever just really stop and think about that fact? He loves us. I've had spiritual attacks at times that I I couldn't think of anything really smart to say. I couldn't think of anything just real preachy to say. And um, your mind just gets bombarded sometimes. And there have been more than one occasion where I finally just told whatever was attacking me. He loves me. And there's nothing else you can do. You'll only be allowed to be involved in whatever you're doing as much as he allows you to do it. He loves me, and I'm sure of that. And somehow or another, even though the problem or the challenge or the situation may exist beyond that that moment, just the acknowledgement that he loves me, sometimes it's not so much that the devil needs to hear it because he knows it. Sometimes I need to hear it. I need to hear myself say it. He loves me. He'll take care of me. I remember not long ago, Malachi said something about something made him, oh, we had pulled into a, a Burger King, I believe is where it was. And um, as we were going through the drive through there's a lot of trees on the backside back there and some woods. And... Um, Someone had put, for some reason, we'd put his window down. I think Eliana may have reached across and put his window down or something. But anyway, he was real quick to let me know he wanted that window up. And I said, why? He said, because them trees and it's dark and I don't like it and I'm a little bit nervous. And I said, you want me to put that window up? Yes, sir. So I did. Later, uh, we were getting ready to go to sleep, and he rolled over and just puts that little old chubby left arm around my neck and pulls my face right up to his, and he said, Daddy-o, that's what, son? Really wasn't all that scared. I didn't think you were, son. Well, I just said that, but I really wasn't because I knew you'd take care of me. He wasn't saying he is all that brave. What he was trying to communicate was he wasn't afraid because he knew I wouldn't let anything happen to him. I got to tell you, there's a lot of times I'm not, I don't really feel all that brave. But I do feel a whole lot of peace because I know my daddy loves me. I know he's watching out for me. He would not go to the trouble to robe himself in flesh, die for me, only to abandon me when I needed him. He's just not that kind of dad. Jesus loves me. That, that, that I know. I don't always know how or why he does, but I am convinced that he does. And I am thankful for that. So very, very thankful. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians. Give honor to Bishop and Sister Herod. Thank the Lord for them. To your pastor and his wife, I thank the Lord for them. Give honor to them. 
give honor to the elder Herods. Thank the Lord for them, all of you. I thank the Lord for you often, and I honor this church. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's a great thing to have confidence in your father. It's a great thing to know that you can call him and ask him for things. And um, Eliana called me Saturday, Friday afternoon. We had come home from youth camp, and I had to, I was pulling a car hauler behind my truck with a Kawasaki mule and my golf cart on it, and I had to drop the mule off out in the country to man's house. And so he said, hey, let's come on, I want to show you. I want you and your family to come get this mule anytime you want to and go down here to the Mulberry River. I'm going to take you down there and show you. Well, I'm in a hurry. Is it far? Oh, no, it's not very far. Uh, that depends on whether you're in a hurry or not. And so while we were yet headed down through the woods and over mountains, and it was beautiful, my phone rings, and it was Eliana. And, of course, her name in my phone is Sweet Baby, so I answered it. Dad, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm kind of busy, Eliana. Well, I need to talk to you about something. Okay. What is it? Well, I'm going to send you some pictures. Okay. Uh, it's some stuff that I'm thinking I'm, I'm really looking at about for Christmas. I said, you do know it is yet June. Well, yes, sir, but you always say we have to plan ahead. And I just want to get this on the list. I'm telling you, our father is that kind of father. He'll take your call no matter what he's doing. And he'll listen to what you've got to say. And all you got to do is say, okay, well, we'll see about it. And everybody's happy. Chapter number three, verse number one. Eliana did want me to tell someone hello, and for the life of me, I can't remember who it is. Some one individual, I'll think of it in a minute. Oh, foolish Galatians, chapter number three. Oh, it was Tyler. Tyler, she wanted me to tell you hello. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Know you therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You may seat yourself in Jesus' name. I'm going to read that again. 
at least one more time, maybe twice. In the Amplified Classic, the scripture uh, starting again with verse number one, O you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Boy, now you're talking about name calling. That, that's pretty heavy handed right there. <clears throat> and this is Paul. Now this is not some novice that got a microphone on accident. This is Paul. Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Who has fascinated or bewitched or cast a spell over you? Under whom right before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was openly and graphically set forth and portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Spirit as a result of obeying the law and doing its works, or was it by hearing the message of the gospel and believing it? Was it from observing a law of rituals or from a message of faith? Are you so foolish and so senseless and silly? Having begun your new life spiritually, with the Spirit, are you now reaching perfection by dependence on the flesh? Now, that's, that's a pretty strong question. Have you suffered so many things and experienced so much all for nothing, to no purpose? If it really is to no purpose and in vain, then does he who supplies you with his marvelous uh, Spirit and works powerfully and miraculously among you do so on the grounds of your doing? What the law demands are because of your believing in and adhering to and trusting in and relying on the message that you heard. Thus Abraham believed in and adhered to and trusted in and relied on God. And it was reckoned and placed to his account and credited as righteousness as conformity to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action. Know and understand that it is really the people who live by faith who are the true sons of Abraham. Now, if you'll remember on over in the New Testament, Paul makes a similar statement. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, he said, these are the sons of God. Verse number seven here in Galatians, I realize we're in the New Testament. Know and understand that this is really the people who live by faith who are the true sons of God. There is no way to do this if you're not going to do it in the spirit. If we're going to attempt to do what we're doing in the flesh, it's always going to fail. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify or declare righteous put in right standing with himself, the Gentiles, in consequence of faith, proclaimed the gospel, foretelling the glad tidings of a savior long beforehand to Abraham in the promise saying, in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Now, I am going to read it one more time in the Passion Translation. What has happened to you, foolish Galatians? Who has put you under an evil spell? Did God not open your eyes to see the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion? Was he not revealed to you as the crucified one? So answer me this. Did the Holy Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping Jewish laws? Did you get what you've got because you kept the laws? No. You received him as a gift because you believed in the Messiah. Your new life, and so he's, he's making it clear in verse number two, this isn't because of anything you've done. This is because of what you've believed in. 
Your new life began when the Holy Spirit gave you a new birth. Why then would you foolishly turn from living in the Spirit by trying to finish by your own works? Have you endured so many trials and persecutions for nothing? Have you been through what you've been through absolutely to end up at this point? Living the way you're living is basically what he's asking them. Let me ask you again. What does the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit in your life and the miracles of God's tremendous power have to do with your, you keeping religious laws? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us through the revelation and the power of faith. You cannot get where God wants you to do by keeping some religious principles. All right, I'm going to mark number five. I'm going to come back to that one. Abraham, our father of faith, believed God, and the substance of his faith released God's righteousness to him. So the true children of Abraham have the same faith as their father. And the scripture prophesied that on the basis of faith, on the basis of faith, God would declare Gentiles to be righteous. God announced the good news ahead of time to Abraham. So let me go back to verse number five since that went over so well. Let me ask you again, what does the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit in your life and the miracles of God's tremendous power have to do with you keeping religious laws? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us through the revelation and power of faith. Now remember the scripture says that you'll be endued with power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Let me read that verse number five in the contemporary English version. God gives you his spirit and works miracles in you. But does he do this because you obey the law of Moses or because you have heard about Christ and have faith in him? Now, he's drawing quite a distinction here with all of this, and, and he's making it clear to them that they're, they're going to have to make a choice. Now, at some point in time, they had this apparently somewhat figured out, or at least they knew the direction they needed to go because he's coming back to them and he's not talking to them about something uh, that they should not have an idea about. He's talking to them about something that really, quite honestly, they should know. So he's asking them the question, why is it that you started this new life in Christ spiritually, but now you're trying to finish what you started spiritually by doing all of this in your flesh? It's astounding to me how easy it is for the enemy to get our focus off of the unseen world and on the seen world. I know I talked about that this morning, but I feel compelled to go back to it and pick it up again. There is always a battle in the church, always. There will never be a day that in the church this battle does not exist. There is a struggle between the enemy trying to get us to be spiritually content and the Lord trying to keep our spiritual hunger stirred up. There are only two types of people in this room right now. Those of you that are spiritually hungry and those of you that are spiritually content. Now, for some reason, the spiritually content, be they in the minority even, seem to be like an anchor, a huge anchor on a canoe. It's, it seems almost impossible to break free from the grasp of complacency and lethargy and, and people who are willing to be content with what they've got up to this point. And I do realize that maybe, maybe God brought us out of some 
uh, very negative situations. And maybe the pit God dug me out of was so far down and so bad that even a mediocre walk with God is so much better than the life I had. It's easy, I can see that probably, to get content knowing that, you know, hey, at least I'm not sleeping under a bridge right this second. And at least I don't have 70 felony warrants out for me. And I'm not being looked for by the law or some gang trying to shoot me for selling dope in their territory. I do realize that it is easy to get seduced by church and it's easy to get seduced by good music and good worship and good preaching and the security and the sanctity that we find when we assemble together either here or in small groups. And it is easy for church in and of itself to rock us to sleep. We get to the point that God blesses us and we've got good jobs. We get to the point God blesses us We're reading that prayer off all the time. Well, when those jobs and bonuses come through, all of a sudden there's this mentality that takes over whether we realize it or not that I'm going to get all I want from him, but I'm only going to give him all I want him to have from me. There's a difference in the generation of the church today and the elder generation that they came out of. The Tom Barneses and the Billy Coles and that generation, the Freemans and on and on and on. That was a generation that walked with God not based on what was lawful, but what was expedient. They, the one thing in, in all of the relationships I've had with elders from that generation, the one thing that I've noticed they all had in common was an insatiable hunger for God and a pursuit of God. They wanted to be in his presence and they wanted to be with him and they wanted a revelation about the word of God more than they wanted anything else. And quite honestly, they wanted that more than they wanted a great revival. But I got news for you. I think part of the problem with us is we'd rather have revival than relationship. Because we can pay for a relationship, uh, we can pay for revival a week or two at a time. But a relationship's a lifelong commitment. And so it's, it's easy to mask spiritual hunger with some superficial desire to have revival. And everybody, I want to be a part of revival. I, if, I was, if I was not traveling full-time and I was pastoring, I'd want to pastor a, a revival church. If I was attending in one place all the time, I'd want it to be a revival church. No doubt about it. But I'm afraid that sometimes we would trade revival in place of relationship. I don't have to be committed to revival. They do. They're writing the checks. They're paying the bills. The evangelist is coming. The hotel bills are coming. All I got to do is show up, show up occasionally for some outreach, do a little bit, put a little money in the offering. And, and as long as I've got my warm carcass in the building, I've done my part to support revival. But relationship is not that. Relationship isn't something that we can have on Sunday and Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night and call that revival. We were talking at breakfast this morning that when revivals used to take place, and a lot of you remember them, it wasn't a a three-day-a-week deal. It wasn't three services or two services. It wasn't a 2 o'clock on Sunday or a 10 a.m. and that's it. It was we started revival, and they didn't do it when it was convenient either. They did it during deer season. They did it during crappie season. They did it during summer vacation. They did it during homecoming. They had, we had revival during the holidays, for God's sake. Because pursuing God was much more important than trying to have some pseudo move of God in a convenient season for us. We check calendars now for everything we do. 
we very rarely schedule a revival based on anything other than what dates I've got available on a calendar. The spiritually complacent always seem to be a five-ton anchor on an 80-pound canoe. It don't matter how much you paddle, it just ain't going to move. And part of the reason is the spiritually hungry have not got desperately hungry yet. When you get desperately hungry, you don't wait on everybody else to get to the buffet. When you're desperately hungry, you don't worry about whether somebody's going to get offended at you reaching across their plate for a biscuit. The spiritually hungry don't sit around saying, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, Matt, please, if you don't mind, let me out. I need to shout a minute. They just go to hucking and bucking right in the road, turning over chairs and junk, and you're either going to move or let them out of the way or you're going to have to shout or get run over. Somehow or another, we have gotten to the point in the apostolic church that if I'm doing good musically or if I'm doing good vocally, if I'm doing good ministry-wise, I've got some good stuff to preach. I've got some deep lessons I can teach. Man, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do that an hour at a time and it's just going to be a dry little Bible study and we're going to go to the house. If that's our concept of what we're doing here, you'd be better off training a monkey to turn flips on the sidewalk you could get a whole lot more satisfaction out of that. But for some reason, the apostolic church has catered to that nonsense. And somehow or another, we've decided to let them dumb down our spiritual hunger and our spiritual pursuits. And, and, and I, I've said this lately online, and so this ain't the first time I've said it, but I'm gonna say it again. You ought to be mad at anybody who's trying to talk you into believing that the five-fold ministry don't exist. It ought to make you upset that somebody would tell you there are no apostles and there are no prophets and there are no pastors, teachers, and evangelists. You know why that ought to make you mad? Because God gave those five giftings to the church for the edification and the perfecting of the saints. And to my knowledge, there's not one other thing he gave the church to edify or perfect us. So if they're going to take away the one thing God gave us for our edification and our perfecting, that ought to make you mad. Why? Because it's through that edification and that perfecting of the body that enables us to get up from this pew and get out of my house and go out into the world and be the anointed vessel that God's called me to be. And if you want to tell me that those things don't exist, you're talking to a wall because I'm not listening. But somehow or another, we've given room to people who want to come up among us and, and try to tell us that apostles and prophets don't exist. And it's not the other three giftings. They never go after them. It's only apostles and prophets. And I'm going to tell you why it's apostles and prophets. Because apostles and prophets are what God gave the church to help us not be deceived by some false doctrine. <clears throat> well, I just don't believe they exist in the church. I, I'm fine with what you believe. Just don't expect me to believe that because you can't find it in the word of God anywhere where God ever took the original structure of the church and redid it after Calvary. If it came through Calvary unchanged, then it's still the way God established it in the beginning. So anybody who's trying to take away from you what God gave you to edify you and to perfect you, to equip you, 
to prepare you, to empower you, to impart things to you that give you the ability to go out into the world and do what God's called you to do, that ought to make you somewhat uncomfortable. That's the kind of stuff that we've got to start saying, you know what, I don't have room for you in my life. You have become complacent and you're trying to talk me into dying right here with you and I'm not gonna do it. There's more for me, I know it, I found it in the word, there's something in my spirit that won't let me be satisfied here, so I'm cutting ties with you because I've got to go where God's called me to go. But somehow in the church, we've decided to try to convince people that if you have the attitude I've got about it, then you're rude. And there's a couple of people in here right now pushing back on me. One of them's on this side, very end section. And I... <laughs> For a long time... I wondered what it was going to take for us to finally, as a body, begin to move in pursuit of what God has for us. And I'm going to tell you what I've come to the conclusion it's going to take. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. I'm tired of complacent people hindering me. I'm tired of complacent people making me feel like my hunger for God is somehow weird. I'm tired of complacent people and carnal people making fun of my hunger to be in the spirit and to walk in the spirit and not be led by my flesh. I'm tired of you trying to put me on a clock. I'm tired of you trying to put God on a schedule. I'm tired of it. I'm done with I'm done with indifferent people. And she's sitting on this side and she better pull it in. I'm tired of them sitting and staring at me like, move me if you can, but I don't think you can. And so when you're done, I'm going, you know what? You're going to go straight to hell with that kind of attitude. And I'm not going to let it go anymore. Somewhere or another, there's got to be a word and a voice from God that says this is no longer okay. It's no longer okay to come to church with a bad attitude and leave with a bad attitude. It's no longer okay to sit around and expect everybody else to do my job for me. That elder's generation though, man, they, they had some stuff figured out. Paul made a statement. I'm gonna get plain about a few things. Paul made a statement. And he said, there are a lot of things that are lawful for me, but they're not expedient. Our elders during the Brush Harbor days, they saw stuff that we hadn't seen. And we can sound so sophisticated and feel real good about all the technological advancements we've made. And personally, I'm okay with that because we live in a technological world and methods have to change. But I'm going to tell you some things that better never change. We better never get to the place that we play church more than we pray. We better never get to the place that we want to fellowship more than we want to pray. We better never get to the place that we're tired of coming to church and would rather go spend our time doing what the enemy wants us to do. They worked all day long. Then they walked from their jobs to church because they only had one car if they had that. They didn't come to church smelling good. They left the job and went to church. And they prayed until God met them. 
They didn't stand around fellowshipping and chit-chatting, but nowadays you call pre-service prayer and you make it you make it a known deal. We're not chit-chatting. We're here to pray. People will get mad and leave. I know not here, but there's places that happens. Well, y'all pray too much. You tell me that two days after the rapture. We'll say a whole lot of stuff on this side of the rapture we wouldn't dare say on the other side. And I'm going to tell you, if you're saying that on this side, you're probably going to be here to talk about it after it happens too. Blessed are they which do love my law and are not easily offended. Spiritually complacent people don't love the law. Therefore, they get their feelings hurt about everything. Everything. Stuff that's going to cause them to miss the rapture. And on day one after the rapture, they're going to hate their own guts because they let something that stupid send them to hell. The most spiritual point you were ever at in your old life was when it ended and your new one began and you were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But he never intended for us to stay there, laying not again the foundation of repentance, but pressing on, pushing, pressing to that high calling. But some people get complacent there. They love to sin and get forgiven, sin and get forgiven. And I'm gonna tell you something, mercy is seductive and mercy can be deceptive. And there are a lot of people that are gonna go to hell because mercy deceived them. Not because it was its intent, but they became so drunk on it that they never learned how to mature and grow up in God and get a walk with God on their own and go on and be mature and do what God called them to do. Mercy, we want mercy, mercy, mercy. You better be careful. But those elders, they didn't live in a world of what can we get away with. They lived in a world, what else can I get rid of? What else can I take off and lay down? What, what am I dragging around that I should lay at the altar? What, what is it that I'm letting in my life that I ought to put out of my, who is it I've let in my house that I ought to put out of my house? Because it, to you, it may just be as, as small a thing as, as a necktie, but what this is gonna open the door to, you hadn't even, you hadn't even begun to think about. If you came out of a situation where you had an alcohol problem, the last thing in the world I'd do would be to drink NyQuil every night just to go to sleep. Well, is NyQuil a sin? No. But what it opens you up to. So you're telling, yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. If it meant that I had to lay awake with insomnia seven days a week, Look, baby, you want to go to sleep at night? Get the Bible out. Lay on your back in the bed. Get the Bible out. Start reading it. You won't make three verses hardly before your eyelids get heavy. Everybody in here knows that. You're going to talk about, oh, I'll read my Bible at night. No, you don't. You go to sleep. Get it out. Read it. We're living in a world now where they're issuing indulgences, really, is what I consider them. Okay, well, this isn't wrong anymore. 
Okay, well, maybe it's not wrong anymore. Maybe it never was wrong. I'm talking about beards, yeah. But it's not the beard that's the issue. It's why would I want one? If you worked on the Northern Pipeline or you up in North Dakota somewhere and you were out in the elements, you better grow some junk on your face and cover it up. That's probably be my advice to you coming in here chapped all up in the morning if you don't. <clears throat> but all of a sudden, we've decided to say, you know what, this isn't a heaven or hell issue. No, maybe not in and of itself, but what it leads to is a heaven or hell issue. Well, I don't know that that's in a heaven or hell issue. It may not be, but why do I want to go do it all of a sudden? Just because I found out it was lawful, why in the wide world do I want to jump out here and go do that? And what you've got to realize is the more stuff you let in your life, the less of God you're going to have in your life. It's not about facial hair. It's about the motive behind it. These people want to grow a goatee. What in the wide world? It looked like an armpit. They lived in a world where it was about how much more can I commit to him? How much more dedicated can I be? And you can say, well, they, they live by certain holiness standards and separation standards that really are not biblically mandated. Maybe they're not, but who had the most miracles? Who had the most dead people getting up? It wasn't this generation, not the lawful generation. Oh, no, uh-uh, it wasn't us. Their generation said, what's, what's expedient? I want to do what's expedient. Our generation today is saying, what's lawful? Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you think that you're going to back off and still get what God gave our elders, you've lost your mind. You're not going to have Brush Harbor results with modern-day commitment. Nobody can force you to do it either. Nobody can force me to be committed. Nobody can force me. My bishop don't call me. God give him strength in his body and I honor him tonight. But he don't call me every 30 minutes asking me, did you do right? Did you, did you stop somewhere and do something you shouldn't have done? Have you cussed today? Did you drink something? He don't do that. Because somehow or another, he trusts my walk with God. And I hope that at some point in time, I've, I've made it known that come, come what may, I, Scott Shelton is going to stay in the kingdom. I'm, I'm not going that way. I'm not going that way. I'm not turning around and going backward. I'm just going to stay in the kingdom. And as he moves forward, I'm going to move forward. But everybody don't want to do that. And we're trying to figure out nowadays how to administrate a revival that only apostolic commitment can produce. The landscape of the church is going to change significantly between now and the rapture. And the way we've always done things is not going to be the way we always do things. Our methods are going to change. And if you're spiritually complacent and carnally minded, you're going to get your feelings hurt probably. And you're not going to like everything that they decide we're going to do next. Well, I'm tired. I need a break. Don't, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. You're going to spend yourself somewhere. We sing songs like, my life is not my own. 
to him I belong. We sing it because it sounds good or it's our favorite song or whatever, but rarely do we mean it. What right do I have to argue with the creator about anything he wants from me? Nothing. I told people lately, I have told people lately, when I've been asked about certain issues, my statement to them is, if they're married, I say to them, go ask your spouse. If it's a man, I say to him, go ask your wife. Can we still stay married if I don't come home every night? Well, where are you going to be? Well, I mean, I may just be tired and don't want to come home that night. I'll stay somewhere close to work. Uh, like where? Well, I, I mean, I'd probably get a hotel room. I wouldn't be doing anything bad. I'll just stay there. I, you know what? I'll get me an apartment close to the office. Stay with me. It gets better. And by that, I mean worse. And then you ask her while she's dumbfounded and looks like Sister Julie down here on the front row. Ask her, if you're all right with it, I'll do that. And then, uh, um, you know what? Instead of sending all my money home on the nights that I stay close to the office, I'll just eat out. You don't have to worry about coming to where I'm at. Um, and, and to save money, though, I won't buy a washer and dryer. I'll come home and get my laundry done. You can do that for me. And, and I, I'll, you know, I'll try not to spend too much eating out. Uh, but, you know, I'll probably eat steak places or whatnot. But uh, when I've got extra money to send home, I'll send it. Now, uh, since I am going to be staying closer to the office, uh, I, won't, I won't fool around on you. I'm not going to step out of our marriage. But would you be all right if I had like a pen pal, a texting pal, somebody I could text uh, all hours of the day and night, just whenever I wanted to? Would you be all right with that? And maybe even when I was needing some company to meet them for dinner. Would that be okay with you? I mean, that would be it. It's it. Huh? <laughs> She's talking about a rolling pin on the front row. <laughs> My question to them is, and, and they're always looking at me like, what are you talking about? Well, how long do you think that particular relationship is going to last? If that's a brother telling a sister that, she will be packing her junk. No, 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 she won't. Huh? She'll be packing his junk. You want to stay at that office? Then here, take all your junk and stay in your apartment. Matter of fact, get that trashy washer and dryer and take that with you. You're going to buy me a new one. Can I get a witness, ladies? Hallelujah. <laughs> do, do you think Jesus feels any differently toward us when we start telling him, look, I'm probably not going to come to church every time they have church. I'm tired. I, I, you know what? I won't do anything bad. And I may or may not be faithful in my finances, but don't worry about it. When I've got them, I'll send you a little love offering. And, and you know what? I'll come home long enough for you to do my laundry. I'll come to church when I'm in a bind. I'll come to church when I need a blessing. When I'm needing you to really love on me, I'll be there. 
but it's going to be on my terms. How long do you think God is going to continue to give without restraint to that relationship? Not long. So my question to us is, how is it we think that we start this thing with him in the spirit? Then all of a sudden, it's like the new wears off and all of a sudden the honeymoon's over. And now all of a sudden, I don't want to be committed to God. I don't want to walk with him and him alone. I don't want this to be a one-on-one relationship. I might actually want to involve some other things in my life. And maybe maybe I want to take up this, this distraction. And, and we call them hobbies, but they're distractions. And I want to take up that distraction. And you know what, Brother Shelton, are you preaching against hobbies? No, I'm preaching against the obsession of them. I have no problem with somebody wanting to go crappie fishing. For God's sake, drop some off at my house on your way to the house. <clears throat> but don't don't miss church to go crappie fishing. Don't spend your tithes down there at the bait shop. And then come here and expect God to do something and wonder why these guys aren't pulling a rabbit out of the hat. <laughs> Paul told him, You're foolish. You act like somebody has put you under a spell. What in the world is wrong? What in the wide world is wrong with you? The the thing that just wears me out is that we live uncommitted. We expect him not to. We're going to be less committed while expecting him to maintain his commitment, if not increase it, as our needs increase. And then when he doesn't do that, and, and the revenue stream doesn't pick up, and I don't get, and I'm going to tell you something right now, I'm going to go and tell you. If you're praying that prayer, y'all praying around here before offering time, and you're not living right, forget it. If you're not faithful in your tithes and offerings, don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Well, I don't believe tithes are heaven or hell. You, you, you got a whole lot of scripture to talk to because it's all in that book. And so is offering, by the way. You're going to pray that prayer, you're going to have to have a lifestyle that goes with it. And that's one of the things that we apostolic people have forgotten about. You don't get the right, we don't have the right to pray apostolic prayers and not live an apostolic life. You can't be talking about, oh, God, I want to be used in prophecy and cussing your wife out at the house. Don't be, don't be talking about how blessed and sanctified you are going to be up on the platform and run out of here using language that you would embarrass your neighbors with. Well, what I do at my house is my business, not when what you're doing at your house is being released off of a platform and infecting somebody else's life. Well, I don't believe in that. Well, then you're one of those spiritually complacent people. Because how many of you would like to know that these two men cuss like a sailor all day, every day until they get here and then they read the Bible to you and they preach to you and they do it with with just great, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful vernacular. Would you be all right with that as long as they didn't cuss in the pulpit? Then why do you do it and come sit in the pew? And some of the mess that some of you are letting in your house on your TVs and your iPads and your phones and letting your kids watch and they can't figure out why we can't have a move of God at church, you can't have one at home either. 
you ain't my pastor. You don't have a right. I'll give him the mic. He'll probably say even worse than what I'm saying. Which kind of a person am I going to be, spiritually complacent or spiritually hungry? I can't preach that we've got to live a holy life and then go home and listen to people cuss on the Internet. I can't preach live a holy life here and let my kids watch demonic stuff and witchcraft at the house and say, well, it's harmless cartoons. It is not harmless. It has an agenda. Hell's got an agenda, and so does God, but we don't believe that. We preach it too strong here, we'll get offended. But you can go, I don't understand this about sanctified people. Come to church and hear good, strong, solid preaching out of the word, get offended, but take their self and their kids home and turn a movie on and let their babies listen to cussing and not be the least bit offended about it. And we can't figure out why we can't have an apostolic move of God. We've been bewitched. And some of you are so complacent, we all are. We are so complacent, we no longer realize that this is a tactic of the enemy. We no longer see this as a ploy and a tool of the adversary to get a hold of my child's mind. We are more offended at church than we are on the internet. And we can't figure out why we're not seeing the dead raised. We can't figure out why we're not seeing people delivered from all kind of sin and bondage and demonic possession. When was the last time we cast the devil out of somebody? We are so inoculated with the world systems that we no longer really are dedicated to the fact that people are possessed. We no longer really are committed to the fact that people need supernatural deliverance. That means somebody may in this very room need a devil cast out of them. We got some people in this room that have yielded themselves to some demonic spirits, anger, strife, confusion, fear. You need to be delivered. But we're gonna preach stuff from the pulpits that lets you sit here bound up and go home bound up and then you want us to counsel it out of you. We can't do that. You either got to get to an altar and repent and close some doors in your life and let God deliver you or you're going to be lost. We got problems in the church. I'm talking about the corporate body of Christ. We're dealing with stuff in the pews because we won't bring it and kill it at the altar. There's stuff that ought to be left on the altar, but we don't do that. And it stays on the pew with us, and we say, well, I can control it. No, you can't. My children hate that they've got to ask for time on an electronic device. Well, they can get happy in the same pair of shoes they got mad in because I'm not taking it off. We're not going to redo it. Yes, it gets annoying for them to have to come and ask, can I have more time on my iPad? No, you sure can't. Matter of fact, let me pull my phone up and see what you've been looking at and watching. Even though we've got parental guidelines and all that stuff, the enemy does not take a day off and he's trying to find out how to access my babies. I'm not gonna go to bed at night and just assume that everything's gonna be all right. It's not. No, you're not laying in there in the middle of the night watching something you ought not be watching. Bring your iPad to my room and plug it up. Brother Shelter, nuh-uh. I'm not complacent about this. 
I'm not going to be complacent about it. I'm not making excuses for sin to my kids. I'm not telling them, well, that's just the way something. No, that's demonic. I got a five-year-old that'll ask me, is that demonic? Is that demons? Do we need to pray for them? He'll, he'll lay hands on you and pray a devil off of you if you need it. Well, he's too young. No, he isn't. I don't want my children to be complacent. I don't want them, well, you're that way because you're a preacher. I'd be that way if I was not a preacher because I've had a glimpse of what the other life is and I don't want to live that way and I don't want my kids going that way. And you ought to thank God that you've got men of God that aren't going to go that way and don't want you going that way. And just for whatever it's worth while I'm on it, if, if you feel all right with just getting mad at the man of God in your life for no reason at all, really, you need to get your behind in an altar and stay your happy self there till you get over it. I know y'all are sanctified. Nobody here ever gets to be in their bonnet. I get it. But revival's on the way. Apostolic times are on the way, and if the devil can cut you off from this pulpit, he's going to. Well, he hurt my feelings. So did the manager at Target, but you were back the next day. Well, Brother Shelton, you just don't know everything I know. Well, apparently you don't know everything I know either. Because if you did, I wouldn't have to be talking to you about it. Now you're gonna have to, some of us are gonna have to get a hitch and a giddy up and figure out, am I gonna run around like a fool under a spell? Or am I gonna shake myself? Look, don't don't expect these guys to come up and, and, and preach some powerfully dramatic message that's just gripping and ripping and just pulls you to the altar. Can I ask a question? Why in the world are we so stubborn, Brother Marsh, in our flesh and such servants to our flesh that God has to pull us to an altar? We act like that's a badge of honor. God pulled me to the altar. Well, moron, quit resisting him. You knew he wanted you down there. Why did he have to pull you? We are not part of a carnal entity. We are part of the spiritual body of Christ. It is a spiritual battle that you and I fight and face every single day. Everything has a spiritual connection. Everything is spiritual. There are apostles and prophets in the church. The gifts of the Spirit do exist in the church. The fruit of the Spirit, the seven spirits of God, all of that's in that book for a reason. And we better start trying to figure out how to get it more involved and incorporated into our lives and stop trying to figure out how little of it we need in our life to go to heaven on.
Because here's the deal. Even though you may be able to go to heaven on this much, the fact that you want to is what's going to send you to hell. Maybe I can get by. I got this opportunity, but I'm going to live at this level. Maybe I can. I could go to heaven from there if I was starting from the ground up. But when you got to go from here down, the fact that I would want to is going to cause me to go to hell over something that was not a heaven or hell issue. Are you with me? Brother Shelton, do you ever get mad at people? Yeah. Scripture says be angry and sin not. In other words, if you've got to be mad, be mad, but shut up. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't end one day with this stuff in your spirit. Why? Because in the morning, it will have hatched out and incubated, and now you'll have a root of bitterness. Last night, it was a seed of offense. Today, it's a root of bitterness. The church is spiritual. It's not carnal. And when it's not carnal, since it's not carnal, we have no right to put our hands on it and try to shape it and make it and mold it what we want it to be. Because the kingdom is spiritual, and if we are going to be spiritual members of a spiritual kingdom, that means I accept the fact that I never have a right to put my hand on what God's doing and try to change it or alter it or distort it in any way. I am simply here to participate with a pre-established word, a pre-established law, a pre-established plan, the will of God, and if I can do that, let me get somebody else a little bit of relief. We, we work real hard to produce results, uh, reward. We want rewards in this life. Well, you know, uh, we're going to, God's going to reward us with revival. That's revival and harvest is not the reward. Get over it. Harvest is not a reward. It is the fruit of our union with God. The reward is the eternal kingdom. If all I'm looking for is God to reward me in this kingdom, guess what? I'm going to be disappointed. He's not going to do everything I want him to do, and he's certainly not going to do it the way I want him to do, and I'm going to have my feelings hurt 90% of the time. I don't care if God never does another miracle that I know he's capable of doing in my body. I'm looking for the ultimate eternal reward, and I intend to spend heaven with my time in heaven with him. I'm not going to let anything or anybody in this world keep me from my reward. Because you don't have a bad week this week and then, okay, we'll make up for it next week. No, a bad week this week on the day he comes for you by way of the grave or the rapture could be eternity for you. This isn't the, the world we get rewarded in. Well, what about all the miracle signs and wonders? They are the fruit and the manifestation of God's spirit in and through us to bring the lost and the fearful and the unbelieving into a relationship with him. They have an encounter with him. Their soul is saved so that they then can share with us in that eternal reward. This life is not where we get rewarded. This life is not all about, 
us doing something so he does something for us. This life is all about us staying dead enough to do every single day what God's asked me to do. This is not about me doing good on Sunday and expecting him to reward me on Monday. No, and if I get a job raise and if I get a job promotion, if I do get a bonus, it's not for me to build my eternal kingdom with. It's for me to use that to benefit the eternal kingdom of God so that another soul is brought into a relationship with him. The problem is I think we've decided to take ownership of everything we want God. Here's the deal. If, if all we're wanting God to do is these miracles for us so it makes our life better, we are selfish, spoiled children, bratty little Pentecostals. So you're telling me I don't have a right to expect God to make my life better? No. Make your own life better. Quit being contentious. Do you realize that a lot of the stuff we pray for God to get in for God to get intervened with and to get involved with would go away if we'd just change the way we live? Nobody likes me. Well, quit being unfriendly. Hello, somebody. Quit being a jerk to everybody, and everybody quit being a jerk to you. If my walking with him is so he sees how good I've done, and bless me now, bless me now, bless me now, bless me now. Oh, you didn't bless me now? Well, I won't be at church Sunday. That's how we live. Because we think this is somehow or another a carnal kingdom. And it's not. It's eternal. And the only way that I'm going to get the eternal reward for being a faithful contributor to this eternal kingdom that's being expanded in the earth is if I allow him to produce the fruit and the results through me that he wants to. And I cannot do that, waffling between whether I'm going to be spiritually minded or carnally minded. I want him to use me. I want him to flow through me. I want him to do whatever he wants to do through me so that his will is done through me. I am in participation with him. I'm obedient to him so that I may then be able to expect my eternal reward of spending eternity with him. This life is not about me. This life is not about me being blessed. I'm only going to be blessed. Quit praying for blessing if you're not going to live a life that's blessable. The only way I have a right for those expectations if I is if I have met his. Do you think my wife would appreciate at all me coming home and talking to her tomorrow some of the stuff I've talked about early on in here no no that wouldn't go over well at the Shelton house and I wouldn't expect it to neither do I expect God to put up with me being an absentee member of a two party relationship It takes two people to have a happy marriage. Stand with me. Play something melodious, Sister Herod, if you don't mind.
Be sober and be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, is going about not looking for people he can fellowship with. He has a plan for your destruction. And all of his moving about in the earth is not about who he can bless. It's about who he can bribe and ultimately destroy. The enemy don't care about you. He wants to destroy you so he can mock God one more time. That's what it really is all about. When we get all messed up and sideways with God, you know who gets the glory out of that? Satan. All of hell rejoices, I think, when a child of God decides I'm going to give the minimums to the kingdom. I've been wearing the same cologne for over 16 years. You know why? Not because there's not some better smelling stuff out there. I like some of the Mont Blanc stuff. And the thing about it with men, men and cologne, we think certain colognes give us a chiseled feature or something. I don't know. We spray it on and all of a sudden we think we've got this chiseled granite jawline and so I keep thinking I'm going to change colognes in airports when I've got time to kill I go in the duty free shop and I'm looking at cologne choices and I'm spraying them around smelling them and I'll tell them what people think when I get on a plane sometime but you know why I wear the same cologne I don't I don't I mean I smell of them nowadays I still smell them but I no longer take samples home put that a long time ago I wear the same cologne Allure by Chanel that's what I wear for one reason that's what my wife wants me to wear and I've said to her Jen do you not like any of these others yes but that's not your smell I want you to wear Allure that's your smell Would she divorce me if I came home with Mont Blanc on? No. But as silly as this sounds, I'd feel like I had betrayed her. I mean, I really would. She likes allure. Bust you out in that corner. You're the head of your house. You can do if you want to. And as the head of my house, I have decided to put my wife's wants above mine. As a child of his, I have also decided to put his wants above mine. My flesh is submitted, but it's not always happy. You find me somebody on a 20-day fast that's happy about it. apostolic and I want to be a spiritual person and I want to be able to be led by the spirit I want to hear his voice when he talks I don't want the seducing spirits of the enemy to come in here with the doctrines of devils 
and taught me into some life that God never called me to. Oh, well, that's okay. If, if the enemy says to you, well, that's okay, you better run. You better run. Lord, our actions are no doubt important to you. But I think the thing that's most important to you or first and foremost important to you is why we do it. Lord, tonight really is not about the deeds we may do, the things we may say and the places we may go. The issue tonight is why would we do it? Lord, I'd be just as wrong to come to church and flaunt it in front of somebody else's face and pridefully tell them what I have done for Jesus as somebody else would be for skipping that same church service. Lord, at the end of the day, it really is all about motive. Our motive has got to be to please you, to be spiritually minded, to mortify the deeds of this flesh, not so we look, seem, or appear holy, but so we can clearly hear your voice, so that we can absolutely be led by your spirit, so that we can do what you have called us to do in this world, in your kingdom, in the earth, so that we can facilitate your will being done through us in this earthly kingdom. That's our job. That's our purpose, to serve your will in this earthly kingdom. You said it to Nicodemus, unless a man's born again, he can't see the kingdom. That was a reference to your will being done in the earth. Lord, without a spiritual set of eyes, we just see what appears to be wasted motion. But give us the eyes of the Spirit. Help us to get our flesh out of the way so that those spiritual eyes can see again. Lord, help our spiritual ears to be able to hear again, to know your voice and to be able to follow it as acutely as we have in times past. <clears throat> because we're only getting one shot at this. And it is appointed unto every man to die. And then the rapture, the judgment. My place in the world is to do your will and your kingdom here. My reward for doing that is to spend eternity with you in your kingdom there. Lord, thank you for... <coughs> the people that come through my life that offend me. Thank you for people that make me mad. Thank you for sending people through my life that don't always agree with everything I do. Thank you for people that have a personality that gets on my nerves that you've seen fit to leave in my life. Because those are the things that help me stay spiritual. Those are the things that help me stay repentant. Those are the things that keep me honest about me. Help me, Lord, help me. Help me to never be able to justify not doing the right thing. Help me to never be able to justify doing the wrong things. I want to please you. I want to serve you. Not for rewards here, but for fruit here and rewards in eternity. Lord, I know for a fact I'm not the only one in this room that feels that way. I can feel it all across this room. These are the people that are hungry for you. They are. 
They are hungry for you. They want you more than they want their next breath. They do, and you know they do. Lord, they have weathered storms. They have been through ups and downs together as families and individuals. Strengthen them. Encourage them for this season ahead. Prepare us for this spiritual journey that's going to become the dominating thing in our lives if we'll allow it to. I want to wake up thinking about your kingdom. I want to go to sleep thinking about your kingdom. I, I, I want to be looking for things in my life that I can let go of so that I can spend more time with you concerning your kingdom. Help me. Lord, convict me of things that are not even a sin issue, but they're a relationship issue. Convict me. Don't let me live in the lawful dimension. Lord, stir me so that I don't ever want to live in that dimension of what all is lawful for me. I want to live in that expedient dimension. That dimension of commitment that our elders once knew. Commitment that was so strong it caused them to be faithful in the wintertime in Brush Harbors, in the heat of summer in Brush Harbor meetings. They stayed late and got up early, raised families and worked jobs, and left us with a legacy of apostolic things that took place. I want that level of commitment. Stir me. Don't let me rest. Don't let this world satisfy me, please. Please trouble my sleep with dreams. Please trouble my sleep with visions and night visions. Please send people into my life that won't let me stay complacent, but that challenge me. Lord, love me enough not to leave me here. Come on, you're, you're feeling it. Why don't you just cry out to him? Yeah. You cry out to him. Yeah. 